You are listening to the In Perspective Weekly Podcast with Bob Branco and Peter O'Toole. Hi, everyone. Welcome once again to In Perspective. My name is Bob Branco. Glad to be here today for episode 263. Peter Alchil, our co-host, will be joining us in a little while. He has to take care of some maintenance issues. So he will be joining us as soon as he can. So let me start off the program by thanking those people who made it possible for In Perspective to be aired and to be made available to the general public. So that would be our media sources. Thank you very much. Raymond Gay, our producer. Thank you very much. Tom and Lynn from the Rosie's Place chat line. Thank you for posting our podcasts on Bulletin Board 15. And finally, Jacqueline Sylvia of JS Web Solutions. She archives our programs on my website, which is www.brancoevents.com. And before we introduce our guest for today's show, Let me give a shout-out to Mr. Glenn Grimes. Glenn is one of our faithful listeners. Thanks for listening, Glenn, and I hope you keep it up. As everyone knows, there is an ongoing war right now between Russia and the Ukraine. It's been in action now since probably right before the first day of spring, probably a few weeks before that. I am learning every day about this war, and there's a lot of questions that I have, and I know that Peter, when he comes on the program in a little while, has questions too. So I thought we would bring in a lady who was born in Russia. She's now living in the United States. She's affectionately known as immigrant. So I thought perhaps she would like to answer a few questions and comment a little bit about the war. what caused it, and what the end goal is. That is, if we know what that is. Immigrant, welcome to In Perspective. It's great to have you with us. Thanks, Bob. And I was born in the former Soviet Union, currently living in New York City in Brooklyn, naturalized U.S. citizen and proud of it. And yes, February 24, 2022, uprooted life for the Ukrainians forever. So you were born in the former Soviet Union. And of course, back then, all of the separate provinces were part of the big country. It wasn't until I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, immigrant, late 80s, early 90s, when some of the states severed from the big countries, states like Georgia, Uzbekistan, the Ukraine, and there's two or three others that I can't remember right now. Am I correct on the dates? Um, in the early 90s, some of the republics expressed the desire to leave the Union. There was no legislative regulation, no procedure outlined for leaving the Union because the central government never believed that the country, the republics should leave the Union and never believed they would in the and constitution the, go ahead in the constitution nominally there was a provision that every republic has the right to leave the union but that was only giving lip service to that right there was no legislative 
procedure. And when the republics expressed the desire to leave the Union, the central government started playing the national card. And in some of the republics, they successfully started inter-ethnic wars, like, for example, in Moldova or in Georgia. But the actual dissolution of the Soviet Union happened at the end of December of 1991, when the Ukraine, on December 1st of 91, had a referendum about its membership in the Soviet Union, and the overwhelming majority of Ukrainians decided to leave the Union. Since the Ukraine was the second largest republic in the Union, the central government could not easily ignore that referendum. It would have to either accept it and therefore realize that there was going to be a Soviet Union without the Ukraine, or not accept it, and there would could have been a civil war, in which case, who knows how many years it would have lasted. The Russian government, the government of Boris Yeltsin, recognized the Ukrainian referendum and acted on it by collaborating with the Ukraine and the Republic of Belarus in initiating the dissolution of the Soviet Union. And a couple of weeks later, most of the other republics have joined them and created the Commonwealth of independent states in place of the now defunct Soviet Union. So Uzbekistan joined forces and Georgia. There were two other countries that was a major part. There were there were eleven all together because the Baltic countries and Georgia have already declared nominally that they are outside the country. I think Georgia joined later with uh, President Shevardnadze. But um, the Baltic countries were, have never been part of the Commonwealth. However, the other countries, the other 12 republics, had been members of the Commonwealth. Okay, so Boris Yeltsin was in charge back in the day. Now, just for the benefit of our listeners, and even for myself, I'm going to fast forward a little bit. When did Vladimir Putin take over? 2000. 2000. So before 2000, you had the separate states and what was left of the Soviet Union. Technically, there are still separate states. But Putin's regime is having a goal and a dream of restoration of the former Soviet Union. And part of it is ensuring that every republic, however independent on paper it is, is within the sphere of influence of Russian Federation. Therefore, if any of the republics expresses any desire for greater independence and perhaps aligning with NATO, maybe not even membership, but even aligning with and closer cooperation with Western European countries, Putin sees that as an insult and he feels the need to act on it. Perhaps 
bringing that country back into the sphere of influence of Russian Federation. So, in other words, Putin is not in favor of the separation. He is ultimately not in favor of the separation, but if, if the separation exists, he would like to at least have those separate countries be beholden to Russia and be Russian allies and sycophants. I know back in 2008, there was a movement against Georgia. Could you tell us about what caused that? That was one of the things that started back in the 90s when Georgia said it wanted out. A couple of autonomous republics within Georgia, inspired by Russia, started a movement saying, well, Georgians, you want out, we want to stay with Russians. And the Russians were exacerbating that situation. In 2008, when the whole world was watching the Olympics in Beijing, Putin entered his troops into Georgia and captured the two autonomies that claimed they wanted to be part of Russian Federation. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, came immigration workers from Russia starting to give people in those areas Russian passports. Now they're Russian citizens. They don't have any time for people who come to Russia from other republics and want to live in Russia and want Russian citizenship. They give them bureaucratic um, delays. But all of a sudden, they have all the time in the world for people in the Georgian autonomies becoming Russian citizens. So that Putin can now say, our troops are there to protect the interests of Russian citizens in Georgia. Those republics had been proclaimed independent and then expressed a desire to join the Russian Federation. It was all provoked by Russian regime. Okay. So now we have the Ukraine playing a major role in a situation out there. And for the longest time, I'm not sure how long, Vladimir Putin attempted to seize Ukraine and others in order to reform the old Soviet Union that was restore. separated. Restore the Soviet Union that was separated in 1991. Right. What happened in Ukraine, it started back in 2009 when Russia tried to install a pro-Russian president during the presidential election. And the election was brazenly falsified in favor of the pro-Russian man. Apparently, it was obvious that his rival won the election and the Ukrainians rebelled against the official results of the election, so much so that Russia had to back off. 
And they did not insist at that time on the installment of their man. So the man who actually did win the election was installed as president. However, they tried to poison him prior to his installment. Five years later, as politics often has it, the Ukrainians were becoming tired of the president. They were, some people were disappointed in whatever either he was doing wrong or the media was telling him he was doing wrong. And it it was actually what happened, it was 2004 when, when he was installed. In 2009, when the new elections came, the pro-Russian man who finally got his chance was installed as president. In 2014, the people overthrew him during another revolution. And 2014 began the ultimate quarrel between the Russians and the Ukrainians, or the Russian and the Ukrainian government, should I say. Because Putin did not take kindly to the fact that his proponent, the proponent of his policies, was overthrown by popular uprising. The president who was in Ukraine at the time is not the same president who is there now, because there had been at least one election since. But even that president did not follow in Putin's footsteps and did not follow his recommendations and his instructions. So in 2014, right after the Putin strongman was overthrown, all of a sudden Putin realized that he wants Crimea. So he organized a false referendum in Crimea under Russian guns where people voted to return to Russia. What happened with Crimea was in itself a convoluted situation because that area was given to Ukraine by Khrushchev in 1954. But no one brought it back up until 60 years later, only because of the fact that The regime in Ukraine was undesirable for Putin. So he decided to get back at Ukraine. All right, you want to change the regime? You're going to play games with me? I'm going to take Crimea. And then he played the same card that Gorbachev played in 1991 when he played the eastern Ukrainian provinces against the rest of the Ukraine. And they declared separate republics. They wanted to be part of Russia or at least not be part of Ukraine. And this is one of the pretexts for the current war, to secure those two separate republics. What was the name of the other republic? There was a Donetsk Republic and a Lugansk Republic. They called it Donetsk People Republic and Lugansk People's Republic. Apparently, because of the name People's Republic, it suggests to me that they are run by communists. Right, like the People's Republic of China. Right. Okay. 
So the war escalated uh, late February of 2022. And of course, we all know the reasons. You know, the ultimate goal is to restore the Soviet Union. Uh, how do you feel about the situation going on right now? And where do you think it's going to lead? Unfortunately, it's going to lead to Russia overwhelming Ukraine because Putin simply has a stronger and a bigger army. And I don't think the Ukrainians can technically, if, if they win the war, it's going to be a miracle. But I don't think they can technically win the war. They don't have enough military power. They are already making a miracle in history by fighting that long. But I think eventually Putin is going to overwhelm them. And then power, which already is um, in his head, is going to hit him even more. He's, who knows whom he's going to try to strike next. His spokesperson, the ministry, the foreign ministry spokesperson, announced that Finland and Sweden may have military and political consequences if they choose to join the NATO. So now they're threatening Finland and Sweden. Who is next, Georgia? I don't know, Belarus. <laughs> Belarus is the country where I was born. Yeah, I mean... The, the, the president in that country is a dictator, totally in Putin's pocket. So Belarus doesn't need to be overrun. It's already overrun. Oh, boy. There is speculation, and you can either confirm this or deny this, because I really don't know. I mean, like most of us, we hear things on the news, and, of course, the media has now received the reputation for giving out fake news. So I'm hearing that Ukraine is a very corrupt country. And of course, the United States and others are giving them billions upon billions of dollars, you know, worth of weaponry or, or whatever else they need financial assistance for. There seems to be questions as to where a lot of this money is really going. The speculation that there's a connection between the Bidens and Ukraine, and it's not a good thing. I don't know. I'm just hearing things, as I said earlier. Uh, could you put all this into perspective for us about the, the money laundering, for us, perhaps, that's going on, and why billions of dollars, and, and where's the money really going, if you know? Uh, Hunter Biden and Burisma is a history, uh, history in the making, so to say. It's a story that we all know about. <laughs> That's a different story from a different book. But um, as far as corruption, unfortunately, every one of those countries that has been created in place of the Soviet Union, now 15 countries, 15 corrupt regimes. The Russian regime is corrupt. The Ukrainian regime is corrupt. Every one of them is corrupt. So to compete which one is more corrupt, I would not tell you which one. 
because back in the former Soviet Union, the laws were so wrong and obstructed people's lives so much that the cynicism against the law had become almost the norm. And many people felt that in order to get anything, something, anything out of this life, you have to bribe somebody. Therefore, this bribe history, and even it existed before communists, I would think. And this whole attitude is not going to change because your country changed its name. It was a Russian empire, it was a Soviet Union, now there's a Russian Federation, or the Republic of Ukraine, or the Republic of Belarus, or any other of the 15 republics. There is still going to be a lot of corruption. And I don't know when it's going to end and what measures need to be taken to end it. So yes, there is a lot of corruption in Ukraine. There was a lot of corruption in Russia. And yes, the corruption in Ukraine probably plays a role in some of those people pocketing the money that the West gives them. However, with all the corruption going on, there are still people defending their country. People who are fighting the Russians, people who want their country to be free, and it coexists. Yes, coexists with thriving corruption. Go figure. Bob, Bob, can you hear me? <clears throat> yes, Peter, go right ahead and chime yeah. in anytime you want to. Yeah, anyway, so uh, welcome. I'm sorry I'm late. I had a problem I need to address, but I'm here and I'm delighted uh, uh, you are here. Uh, and so my what I'm sort of trying to wrestle with is, of course, there's corruption, you know, in, in all these places, there's corruption here in the United States too, as well, which is a whole other conversation. So what, um, what do you think we, and if, if, and if you ask this question already, by all means, tell me, but what do you think we as the United States should be doing more of or less of uh, as, as you guys, you know, continue doing what you're doing? Oh, uh, well, first of all, I am a naturalized U.S. citizen. Wow. So, thank you. Uh, you, you guys is not um, fair. Fair point. Fair point. Relating. All right. No, no. F forgive me. <laughs> forgive me. That that was that was poorly played on my part. But what as, do you? What do you? As far as the U.S. government, um, well, part of the thing is there had been talk about Poland giving the Ukraine, for example, old Russian planes, and somehow it all hinges on President Joe Biden. And he didn't give Poland the permission. I don't understand it, but there are some, some people or some circumstances that stall some of the decisions. I am not talking about American troops in Ukraine because this is not clearly not America's war, but America needs, yes, America needs mechanisms for checking where this money is going and where the, those weapons are going, as well as um, advisors and um, weapons and money that would help. However, I, as I said, I don't know how long it will take, but I think there will be a day 
unfortunately, dark day for Ukraine when Putin is going to reach his goal. And, and, and it seems to me that the challenge that we in the United States, the government has, it, it seems inevitable to me, too, from a little from what, from what I understand. But the, the question is, to, to use a crude analogy, how digestible will be this, uh, you know, this conquest? Because I remember what happened in Afghanistan to both the Russians and the Americans, right? We, we came in, they came in, and we were forced both forced to leave with our tail between our legs, right? I mean, that's what happened in Afghanistan. I would imagine the Ukrainians can make it really difficult, even even when the Russians, you know, gain what they want to to to, to uh, help them maintain where they are, right? Partisan so, partisan war is not new to Ukraine. Yeah, nineteen forty one, when the Germans came, Ukraine, the Republic of Belarus, and part of Russia that was conquered, a lot of people went into the forests and were fire, fighting the partisan war. Yeah. The Ukrainians are already fighting the partisan war. I just heard about an incident where, and actually it was self-inflicted, but partly, the Russian soldiers stole some fruit from the Ukrainian farmer. They did not realize that the Ukrainian farmer foresaw it and poisoned the fruit. Mm -hmm. So now I don't think there were any lethal um, incidents, but the, the Russian soldiers apparently were sick with a poison. Talk about low tech, right? I mean, there are so many things that that people can do if they don't like where the, the way things are. They can find all kinds of creative ways to, to resist. And uh, that's what makes war so, uh, you know, potentially terrible. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. So, so what's so? What do you think is going to happen over the next? I don't know, uh, month or so. What do you what do you think? What do you think? Where do you think the trend is going? I think it's still going to drag on, um, I, unless Putin decides to escalate even more and bring more troops and and more uh, destructive weapons. He's trying. He was trying to win this war with less military involvement, not just not in order to spare anyone, but he was thinking that was enough. The, the contingent of troops that he brought in, he thought was enough. And he thought the war would be won within days. Three days, yeah, exactly. He did not realize that the Ukrainians are more resolute, although he should have realized because the Ukrainians were part uh, part of the Soviet Union, part of the fighting force during World War II, at least World War II. Well, look, and at unfortunate, the look at the aid Ukraine is getting too, financially. Right, and unfortunately now, I, as I always say, the old Ukrainians are probably comparing their memories because they remember when they were little, they remember the same kind of destruction from a different country. Do you think that Putin will ever be prosecuted? Not until he is um, no longer president. When he's president, I don't think anyone, he, he destroyed all his opposition. I don't think anyone ever is going to do anything to him. Impeachment of Putin, out of the question. 
yeah, yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't see that either. Um, I don't see it either. So, uh, but on the other hand, do you think, do you think it's possible that the Ukrainians can get their entire country back? Is, is that, a, is that a reasonable goal? Uh, only if Putin's regime is no longer there and the regime in Russia is more favorable to negotiations and understanding with Ukraine and is willing to perhaps cede those territories. However, it would be hard to imagine even with a more pro-democratic Russian regime, because once Russia captures a territory, there will be pressure within the country not to give it back. Right. Which is the way it always is, right? When, you know, people don't want to give back stuff. Right, with any country. Well, the, the Crimea has a very convoluted history because, of course, there was a time when it was its own country back in the 1700s before Catherine II conquered it. And then it had become part of the Russian Empire. Once the empire became the Soviet Union, it became part of the Russian Federation. And in the 1954, it was 300 years of the time when Ukraine joined Russia. And Khrushchev, having been born in Ukraine himself, decides to give them a royal gift of Crimea, which he didn't think was was anything because it's still the same country, still the Soviet Union. He he never imagined that it's going to separate into 15 different countries. And then someone is going to ask the question, whom should Crimea belong to? Mm -hmm. So one of the things... I'm sorry, Bob. Go ahead. How do you think a majority of Russian citizenry feels about this war? A lot of people in Russia are pro-Putin, either sincerely or out of fear. A lot of them either are brainwashed or scared. Just like they were brainwashed or scared back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. When everyone was saying Stalin was the father of the nation. Quite a father, right? <laughs> Quite a father. But there are plenty of Russians with, I, I, I've read that there are obviously plenty of Russians with Ukrainian relatives of one kind or another. And so there, there, there's quite a lot of uh, communication be- over the borders. And what I'm hearing is that in many cases, family relations are being disrupted because the folks in Russia just don't believe that the Ukrainians are experiencing what they're experiencing. They don't believe, well, I'm hearing from some people, and that comes from the Russian sources, the Russian TV and papers and media, that's what people hear, that Ukrainian is a fascist country. Ukraine is a fascist right. country. Right. And therefore, Putin came there for denazification. What a, what a word. What a word. So uh, what do you think? I'm sorry, go ahead. In which case, I always ask people, how come if Putin is so against Nazis or people whom he proclaims to be Nazis, why doesn't he take care of skinheads in his own backyard? I I have a very cynical response to that, which I won't give here. 
Um, I'm a, so, but I'm, one of the things Ukraine is known for is its agricultural prowess, if you will. And what I'm hearing is that the, the Russians are making it impossible for the Ukrainians to export food. Um, if that's accurate, how do you think that's going to impact play out over the next uh, few months or a year? Uh, that may be unfortunate for the Ukrainian farmers. And yes, the agriculture is a big part of Ukrainian economy. That could disrupt a lot of things. For Ukraine and for the countries that receive Ukrainian agriculture production uh, produ products. And everything impacts everything else, because what I'm hearing is that the, the bulk of the agriculture of Ukraine goes to places like Africa, who have their own, you know, who have real serious food issues, you know, starvation issues. And I I sort of worry about that's how this is going to impact the rest of the world, including us. You know, we have enough problems as it is. The world is very small right now. Yeah. So um, everyone is interdependent. Plus, Ukraine has coal mining and steel production and many other um, industries that probably will suffer as well. I've heard the president of Ukraine. I can't remember his last name. But uh, he seems very vocal in a lot of senses about the whole thing. He he seems to be, unless I'm mistaken, immigrant, he seems to be a people person. I don't know much about Vladimir Zelensky. Um, I was surprised when he was elected president because he was an actor. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking only in Russia and the former, the other former republics. Can someone of that type become any kind of anything? Um, there is an example in the United States: Arnold Schwarzenegger, governor of California. Well, don't uh, forget, don't don't forget President Reagan in this country. I don't know if you were here when. However, he President Reagan, I was not here when President Reagan was in um, the White House. President Reagan didn't come to the White House from. The movies. He came from political machine. Well, sort of. I mean, there is a gap between his movie acting and the White House. That's absolutely right. True. But I'm, I'm not true. saying an actor yeah. cannot become yeah. a president, right? But not right from the uh, like from, Schwarzenegger, from, right? Right. Schwarzenegger didn't have any political experience when he became uh, what I call Terminator of California. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, 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 Vaclav Havel from uh, the Czech Republic wasn't an actor, but he was a he was a writer. A, he was a writer, which is not quite the same thing. But he didn't have not a lot quite of right. But then again, it's Eastern Europe. Oh. There, were, there were a lot of actors. There was an actor who was a governor of one of the provinces in Russian Federation. Unfortunately, he tragically died. I don't know if he was killed or not. But this guy was a comedian. And the same is true for the president of Ukraine. I guess sometimes people are so disgusted with politicians that they elect any person who will promise anything that sounds good. But however, during this war, he seems to be on top of his game. You just reminded me of what a lot of people have said in the past several years about 
And I've heard this before, too, that a lot of people refuse to elect politicians anymore. And I, I'm convinced this is why Donald Trump was our president for four years. I was, was surprised. He was not a politician. I was surprised when he became president. I was surprised when he ran for president. He was considering running before. And I was thinking at first that he wouldn't even be nominated. But I was surprised with both his campaign and his presidency. Would you agree, though, that he became president because people were tired of establishment politics? Part of it, yes. Yeah. You are listening to In Perspective. I'm Bob Branco, and he's Peter Alchel. Our guest is immigrant. She is a U.S. citizen, and she's talking to us about problems going on with the former Soviet Union and, of course, Ukraine and Russia right now. I would like to open the show to our participants. So, Ray, if you're there, you can let them know how to do that, how to ask questions. Ray, are you here? Are you here, Ray? Yes, I'm sorry. There I was talking and wasn't unmuted on. Anyways, um, yes, for raising your hands, it is Alt-A on PC, command shift no, option, uh, command, alt, y on PC, uh, sorry, option, y on Mac, uh, star nine on telephone and under the more tab on smartphones for muting and unmuting. It is alt a on PC, command shift a on Mac, star six on telephone and on the lower left for smartphones. And we do have people already lined up. All right. Um, we will start with, um, phone number ending in three, one, seven. You are up first. Hello, I'm the one in first of the ACV media that's kind of on the Okay, what is, what is your name? M, period. Um, I lived in a totalitarian country, and the word always gets back to people. I have two questions. It's my understanding when Brezhnev was head of the Soviet Union that Brezhnev just absolutely got tired of the war in Afghanistan and made that point clear or to comment on the, the possibility of people really figuring it out in time. And second, it is alleged that Putin's health is uh, really awful, two diseases, and he looks terrible when he's going to church. You know, the media talk about that. Would he care to comment about that? And the, please get the BBC interview. I sent you an email on this, and I sent it to the guest because the, the surgeon's from New York, and I in that charity that's all i wish to say thank you so much yeah so what what do you think how do you think putin's health health factors into all this um i i am hearing rumors and those are only rumors you know that in any totalitarian country the health of the president is always the top secret that's what was happening in the soviet union when our leaders died suddenly for us. We never knew we were suspecting that they were suffering from some kind of disease simply because they were not young, but we were never told anything about the health of the leaders. So I don't think anyone in Russia, other than Putin's own doctors and perhaps people in his administration, know anything and will let anything out about his health. I hear he has cancer, but I don't know if it is true. Yeah. 
And 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 as far as I didn't hear, I didn't understand the question about Afghanistan. Well, I I think she was saying what what I was sort of saying, if I heard her correctly, which is that you know Afghanistan caused such havoc within Russia that they 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 wanted to leave, uh, and you know after ten years of of effort, they they did exactly what we did uh, more recently and left with their tail between our legs. You know, it, it's um, one of the things I'm I've sort of beginning to wonder is it's much easier to conquer if you're uh, than than to maintain. You know, and sometimes um, and uh, anyway, that's a whole other conversation. That's why I have some op- optimism that. While, while Ukraine is having really tough times and I wouldn't want to live there and it's a terrible place to be right now, um, that I don't think the Russians are going to survive there in, in the long term. Uh, I just, I just, you know, there's, there's too many ways, you know, every time I hear about the Russian, uh, you can, you can, it, the Russian military, they just are poorly trained, poorly supplied. You know, everything I hear is just abysmal. The only way they can win is by you know, lobbing shells into the city, and that only goes so far. Brute force, yes. Yeah, and, and that, only, that only works for so long. That only the thing so is, what what they could do is install uh, a Russian, a pro-Russian figurehead president in Ukraine, and they don't even have to maintain a big military presence. Unless they decide that if they leave, that the Ukrainians are going to overthrow that figurehead president. Well, yeah. what do you think? They, uh, they might. They showed it to us in 2004 and 14. They, they are quite capable of doing that. They've proven that they're, they're that the Ukrainians are quite capable of doing things like that. The, right. the Ukra- I'm going. I'm the sorry, Ukrainians are more, more likely to, to um overthrow an undesired president than the people in some of the other republics. Uh, I, I saw the uprisings, unfortunately, uh, overwhelmed and crashed in the Republic of Belarus. Mm-hmm. Okay, Ray. Ray, who's, who's All next? All right, next up, and I apologize to this individual, as I believe I'm going to mispronounce her name, so I apologize. Um, Tucci, I think you are up next. Well, you are up next. I think that's touching her. No, I don't know. Well, we'll find out who it is. How do you spell? Oh, you can't. Huh? In any Tucci? event, Tucci or tu- tu- uh, whatever tu- your name is, can you unmute and speak? Touchy please? is how it says on Jaws, but I didn't yeah, want to. That's uh, that's our boy. He is up next. It's- there. Okay. Oh, okay. Is there it- am I unmuted now? You yes, are sir. unmuted. So, okay. what yeah. is your question, sir? This is Touchner. Touchner, yeah. there you go. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Good. Uh, my question is: uh, Do you think that um, Putin is could be made to play the nuclear option if uh, things get too rough for him? I wouldn't put it past him uh, because it seems that. Um, any other leaders of the Soviet Union, whenever they pushed too hard and when they get pushed back from the United States, they backed off because they didn't want the nuclear um, war or the nuclear conflict of any kind. Uh, remember what the Russian historians called the Caribbean crisis. With <laughs> missile crisis. Yeah. <laughs> um, Putin however, is calling America's bluff. 
And he is saying, well, the Americans won't want to use nuclear weapons against me because they know that I will respond the same way. So I can do anything. They can threaten me, but they're not going to do anything. But if the uh, United States um, sponsors uh, the Ukraine to the point where they're winning, which they seem to be trying to do, uh, then he, w he wouldn't be threatened with nuclear um, might, but he still has the option for it. He does. And who knows, first of all, what he decides, whether he decides to threaten, at least threaten the nuclear stick or perhaps people in his circles, because he has a lot of military and former KGB personnel in his circles now. And those generals might pressure him into threatening, at least threatening it. So, uh, so what, uh, given that, I mean, we, we, are, we are not Ukraine, we're the United States. Um, do, do, I mean, how, 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 should, how should we take that threat? In other words, how should that threat impact the way we react towards Ukraine, do you think? I don't think that the United States should change its policy toward Ukraine and toward anything else that the United States have expressed. What needs to be changed is the resolve against Putin, if, if any threats like that. If, if the United States is threatened, I don't think the answer is, oh, uh, I'm sorry, I, I didn't realize it bothers you. Uh, now I have to leave. I, I, I wasn't. I wasn't going to bother you. Um, our our response should be, all right. Enough playing games. If you're threatening us, don't forget we have the same kind of weapon. Right. Right. That's okay. Well, thank you, uh, Tucci. Is that what you said? Your name was. I'm sorry. Touchy. 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 Touchner. Touchner. Sorry. <laughs> Forgive me. Thank you, Touchner, for your for your question. So uh, we have we've talked a lot about, at least since I've come on, about you know sort of aggression. You know, uh, uh, you know how how uh, what what the United States should do to support the Ukrainians in their battle against the Russians. How do you think peace talks fit into all of this? Peace is only as good as the peacemakers and as the, the sides that are talking. Yes, I do hear all the time, you don't make peace with friends, you make peace with enemies. But in order to have a lasting peace, the two sides need to have both have the desire to have the peace talks. I know that, for example, Putin's demands for peace include territorial um, demands. The two republics, the two so-called separate republics that were Putin-inspired back in 2014. And that's one of the things. Unfortunately, any kind of peace talks would involve those territories any kind of peace talks would involve Putin's demands that Ukraine cease its 
independence or part of its independence and become part of Russia's sphere of influence. And that's not in the cards right now. I don't think the Ukrainians are remotely interested in that. So how do you think, you know, uh, the average person in the United States, how can we best support Ukraine at this point? What are the things that we can do on a practical level uh, that can help uh, the, the Ukrainians do what they're doing? I don't know if there are any um, fundraisers or campaigns locally for people to contribute if they feel like contributing. But I think that's practically the one of the only ways average people can contribute. It's more likely that can, uh, um, companies and the government could contribute much more as far as the government is militarily um, with, with weapons and companies and government with, with finances. But there isn't much an ordinary person can do other than perhaps participating in some kind of a fundraiser. And of course, there was a fundraiser that. Go ahead, Ray. Sorry, Peter. Next up, after uh, Peter's done with his statement, sorry, Peter, is Mary Car Mary Mary Carla Hayes. Let's 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 hear from Mary Carla Hayes. I have um, a question. Um, I've been trying to support Ukraine in my own little ways. You know, we did the concert and everything. But our church um, had a, 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 a drive. Um, several churches got together and they were um, collecting goods, canned goods and medical supplies and and things like that. And we, we sent them. How much confidence, um, and maybe you can and can't answer this, or can't, I don't know. How many confident, How much confidence can we have that um, the goods that, and even the money that is being sent to Ukraine is getting where it needs to go? And is there any way that we can assure that this is happening? Unfortunately, I cannot see transparency during the war or even in a peacetime if we're talking about corruption. The only way to know for sure is for people who are organizing this drive, for people who are collecting those goods and that money to either bring it themselves and distribute among people or find a reliable channel that they knew would do it such as a reliable charity. So there was a, um, a message that came across my uh, email this morning, which I forwarded to you, Bob, uh, that had a number of options of, of sources, uh, ways that we, we can support the Ukrainians. Um, and I would encourage you, Bob, to forward that onto your network when you find it. One of the yes. one of the one of the one of the things that was was mentioned was Samaritan's Purse, which is a well respected uh, Christian organization that um, deals with countries, you know, in in trouble, you know, with uh, you know, uh, with less than stellar uh, uh, civil society. So uh, that's one organization that I've heard that does really good work, and I would encourage people to look at that one. But there are other others. I don't remember what they were, but it was a really good message, and I would encourage. Uh, Bob, if you can find that message, to just send it around to your network. Absolutely. It was a really good list. 
Great. It's a really, really good list. So anyway, um, so I don't know if, if Bob asked this question and, and if they, and if she, and if he hasn't, if he has, forgive me, but can you sort of talk about your sort of experience, how you came to this country, what your connection with Ukraine is sort of on a personal level? I don't really have much connection to Ukraine. I okay. had a relative who lived in southern Ukraine um, near Black Sea, and I've been to that city as a little girl, and I don't really remember it. I was mm -hmm. brought there for actually an eye exam at the famous eye clinic twice. However, um, um, I have lived in the Republic of Belarus for the first almost 30 years of my life. I was born there, raised there, got education there. And another unfortunate connection to Ukraine, April 26th, 1986, Chernobyl nuclear disaster. Mm -hmm. Yes, we, we have been affected. We have been affected. We have lived far enough not to be directly affected, but close enough to actually had nuclear radiation fallout. So we have, so, we have about another minute, folks. So uh, it sounds like you you have a general understanding of how the Russians uh, impact uh, countries in a really negative way. And maybe next time we'll talk about how you left Belarus and came to this country. Oh, empire uh, building, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Empire building. Uh, I want to thank you for, for coming to In Perspective. I'm sorry I arrived late. This is, you know, I think this conversation needs to be continued. And I, I'm wondering if you might consider coming back in six months or so. Or, or uh, even sooner if we or even sooner. Could. Yeah, I think, I think you. we'd love to have you back. You have a lot of knowledge and wisdom. Is that something Appreciate that might, that no, might no interest problem. you? Okay, That's terrific. Good. Great. Let's let's schedule it. Thank you so much for for uh, for joining us. And next uh, week, next week we have Anthony Candela. He's done a lot of things. Peter, you might want to mention a couple, two or three. Yeah, Anthony Candela is sort of a uh, the four A's, as I call it. He's an author. He's an athlete. He's an advocate, and he's an administrator. He's all those things, and, and has done a lot of work in the blindness community around issues of employment and integration and all that kind of stuff. So he's, he, he's well worth listening to. And we hope you will join us, even though it is still the, uh, it is the conventionist, the ACB convention is still going on. So that's a week from today. All right. So Peter, Ray, thank you very much for your assistance. And I want to thank our participants as well for taking part. And of course, the immigrant for taking the time to come on our program. Go safe with God's abundant blessings, everybody. Have a nice week. Take care.